This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Join the league of families who are transforming family time into unforgettable Bitcoin learning experiences. With our Hoddle Up Bitcoin mining board game, you're not just playing. You're building bridges, creating memories, and unlocking the brilliance of the future one block at a time. Bitcoin homeschoolers is more than just the money. It really comes down to a trusting relationship. What do you value? If you value your kid being able to think critically, if you value the idea that your kid's going to understand what you've learned about money since you got Bitcoin, then you have to make a decision about what you're going to be able to do. I challenge that image because it does not have to be that way. You can be partners with your kids as they're growing up, being their mentor, their leader. Parents are very invested and the relationship is, is safe between the parent and the child and there's a high level of trust. They are under extreme pressure. It's not just the other kids. Sometimes it's the teacher, the professor, the principal, if they have a woke agenda. Welcome Bitcoin homeschoolers. Today, Tali and I are gonna address a subject that has come up in person. It has come up in comments like on Fountain and other places. And someday I would like to actually interview someone who is in this circumstance. But for today, Tali and I are gonna explore what do you do when you are in an area where homeschooling is criminalized, like in Germany? Well, it's not really about just those people. It's just it's people who can't homeschool for well, a variety I, of reasons. I was going to get to that. Okay, because how many my, countries criminalize homeschooling? I, I don't know. I don't know either. But part two of this that Tali is talking about is this is also for people who cannot do it. It might be you are a single working parent or you're a married couple and you both have to work because of what's going on in the fiat world. And for whatever reason, either because jurisdictionally you're not allowed to or because of other circumstances, you don't have the time or the bandwidth to do it. So if you're, if you're both working, and you have your kids in public schools. What can you do in terms of parenting and teaching and schooling when you can't go 100% on homeschooling in what we usually refer to as homeschooling, where there's stay-at-home parent, usually the mother. So <clears throat> that's the topic. I'll, I'll kick off here, and we're going to go back and forth. Talia and I, I will say we are not in total agreement. My my weakness in this is to get on a soapbox and get very upset about what governments are doing and what school districts are teaching and some things like that. So I will do my best to not get heated. To me, this is uh, this this whole thing is about having the intentional courage of what you're going to to do. Um, but what you're going to hear is I'm going to kick off the subject. Tali and I will go back and forth, and we are. Not always in agreement on this one, but it's it's still, it's a really good discussion. It's going to be some fun. So I will start off by saying, from a first principle standpoint, you as the parent are responsible for your kid's education, not the state. And it doesn't matter whatever the laws are. You, as a parent, are responsible for your kid's education. So I will also say that kids are always watching. We've, we've, we've talked about this in other, in other episodes they are always feeling and learning things and their experiences, even bad things. So for me, I had a Fiat operations job, series of jobs, and 
I was working a lot of hours. I was not happy doing the work I was doing. So I would come home in this kind of miserable, stressed, underslept state. And I, I don't know what our kids picked up from that, but they probably picked up, Hey, dad's work really long hours or dad's don't have time to teach or something, even though it was unsaid. Um, but they also look at what foods do you eat? Do you exercise? Well, I, I do you read? I just want to say that I, we did have a lot of discussions about that just while you weren't here. Okay. So my point is, number one was, hey, listen, you're, as a parent, you're responsible. And the second point, second principle is they, the kids are always learning. And it's not just the schoolwork. It's not just a curriculum. And so what you choose to do and not do, you are actually, you have a huge influence, even if you have limited time. I don't think people are, are helpless. You, you can do things. We'll get into kind of discussion of what we think some of those things are. But that's my position is you, you can do things even if you're, you're limited and it, it does make a big impact. I would just add the nuance between learning and drawing conclusions because learning suggests that they're accepting what they're being taught Whereas drawing conclusions is just them observing what's happening and then making their own decisions about what they will do. An example would be if somebody's witnessing an alcoholic father, they can learn that behavior and become alcoholic themselves, or they can draw their own conclusions that that is not a lifestyle that they want to engage in. And therefore they absolutely do not touch alcohol at all. So drawing conclusions, Mm. I think suggests that children have, critical thinking, even from the point before we assume they have critical thinking, they're already drawing their own conclusions about what they like and what they don't like. All right. So let me then let me move on. The first thing that I think parents have to do is they have to be intentional about what level of involvement they want to have. That becomes your your, your guidepost, guiding light, if you will. Which, which direction am I going to go with this, regardless of whatever your, your challenges are, as we've talked about above. And, and so time, I guess, is like a first subject because there's a full spectrum of involvement, but not everybody's going to be able to have that much bandwidth. This is a part of it's where it's intentional. I think parents need to be clear about what they want as a parent, their kids to learn. And then from there, you can work through your challenges to, um, to basically get those points across, those ideas across to your kids. Moving on then I don't think Tali's disagreeing with me there. I would say the second thing then is, is that you, it's the don't trust verify ethos of Bitcoin. Hope is not a strategy, right? So you cannot hope, well, I guess you can. I don't think it's a good strategy that if your kids go to school, somehow they're going to be able to discern between what you think is right or wrong in terms of the subjects or the frameworks of those subjects. And what that implies is you have to really be alert and you need to be very deliberate in poking into your kids' business. And when your kids are younger, this is easier. As they get into teenage years, it gets more difficult, but you need to ask questions. Hey, what subjects are you taking? Hey, what textbooks are you using? Can I see the textbooks? What are your teachers saying about these, these subjects? So that's the first, I guess, tenant of what to do from my standpoint. And that is you're, you're not going to trust, you're going to verify what are your kids actually studying. And it requires, 
I don't call it being intrusive, but being very deliberate and asking questions. And I know as a teenager, my answer would have been, day was fine or no big deal. I would have answered very generically. I'm not saying this is easy, but I'm saying this is critical is you have to be alert as to what's going on. Okay, so I just want to address the, the age range of your kids and the different kind of approach or attitude toward this, what we're suggesting in you asking your kids about their day. So when you are little, when your kids are little, you are their hero. And I don't know one child who doesn't enjoy spending time with their parents or having their parents attend, their parents' attention. And so it's going to be really easy when the kids come home to say, hey, what did you learn in school? What was the best part? And it's not necessarily, you know, some people think when they're grilling their kids about school, it's about the grade. You know, what did you get on your quiz and what did you get on your test? But that's not that's not our intention at all. We just want to have a general understanding, not only about the academic topics that they've been taught, but also social interactions. Because a lot of the, a lot of the, what's it called? The um, brainwashing, for the lack of a better word, <laughs> happens during social interactions. There's shaming if you disagree with people. There's um, ostracizing. Those, are, those can happen overtly or they can happen in a really subtle way and you have to be really, like what Scott was saying, be very deliberate in observing cues from your kids. Now, if they get to an age where they're giving you one more answers, like what Scott was saying, he was high school and his mom would say, how was your day? He'll say, fine, like one more answers. I mean, we have two boys and they are definitely less communicative than our girls. And so I end up having to ask specific questions you know, how, how was your day? Like, tell me more, give me more details. Just, just three words. Get, that's four words. Give me more <laughs> details. I want to know more. Right. You know, and, the kind and of it, thing you're showing interest and they might roll their eyes. Exactly what I was thinking. They're going to roll your eyes. However, you have to... there is going to be a part of them that appreciates the fact that you're asking. And also, again, we're not asking to judge, we're not asking, you know, what did you get on your test? We're asking, what are you actually learning? What it, what was the discussion about? What did you take away from it? What was something that you disagree with? It's and it sounds like there's a lot, right? Where it sounds like we're saying this this can be like an hour grilling session, but it's not. It's really you can do it in passing. You can do it when you're both getting coffee from from the kitchen in our case or right before dinner or right before bed it, it can be done in passing but just the fact that your kids know you are watching and paying attention that in and of itself will make a difference completely agree so earlier on when i said the kids were watching whether you're saying it or not i i think that's like proof of love right you are interested you are vested in their future and you were going to ask about it. And I think consistency is the word that comes to mind because if you try this for the first time and you haven't already established a pattern with your children that you're going to ask a lot of questions, it's going to be weird. You're going to feel weird. They're probably going to feel weird. At least I, I just anticipate based on the conversations I've had with our own kids, anytime you're trying to do something that's a little bit out of what you've already established as your normal way of communicating, it's going to be feel, feel weird. But that's where I go back to the guideposts. If, if you value what you 
want to accomplish with schooling, then you say, okay, I just need, I need to take, I am intentionally going to be courageous. I know this is going to be awkward and I am going to do this every time I see my kids and be consistent with it until it becomes a new norm. At some point, it becomes a norm. So yes, the kids are going to roll their eyes and that's fine, but they know, at least our kids know that we are going to ask a lot of questions, especially their mom. <laughs> I think they're, but they're going to, they, they know that you are communicating that you care, that you love them. You want to know these things and you as a parent need to be prepared to say, it's like a grit kind of question. I am going to push through this, these awkward conversations because it's important to their future that I do this. And I, I don't think it's easy though. I do think this is a, it sounds easy to say. In practice, asking these questions, this takes time to, to do, at least in most families. And, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just projecting in that case. Well, I also want to address that there is a cultural picture of rebellious teenagers that I think mostly was painted through media. Like a lot of TV sitcoms make fun of how rebellious and uh, teenagers are and full of attitude and the fact that they're secretive, the fact that they don't like their parents, the fact that they don't get along. Like it's commonly portrayed as a phase that every child goes through, through movies, TV shows, just casual conversation, etc. And I want to challenge that image because it doesn't have to be that that way at all. It does not have to be that way. You can be partners with your kids as they're growing up, being their mentor, being their friend, being their leader. It does not have to play out in a way that the mainstream portrays that phase of life to to be. And we have both seen it over and over again in families where from the time the kids are little, the parents are very invested and the relationship is, is safe between the parent and the child and there's a high level of trust. They grew, go through the teenage years and yes, the kids need to form their own opinions away from you, but it doesn't have to be an antagonistic relationship. So even though we're talking about, you know, if, if you're asking them about their day and they're rolling their eyes, I'm not painting a picture where it's going to be a super painful, why are you bugging me kind of conversation. They might roll their eyes because they don't feel like talking, but it is not a disrespectful kind of rebellious teenage thing that we're painting here because it does not have to be that way. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'm a structured kind of guy. So I'll just keep going through with this. So the first thing we talked about was like this intentional courage. What do you want? Second thing was the don't trust verify. You have to ask questions. The, the next thing that I have in my notes is you have to continuously learn yourself. So if you want to be able to guide your kids correctly, you have to have some sense of what you want to tell them. And I'm not saying you have to be a technical expert on everything about how to set up wallets in your own node. I'm not saying that you have to be some economics genius that has read every, every book out there. What I am saying is that you need to have and you need to exhibit for your kids this idea of continuously learning. And this is going to lead to another point I'll have later. But if you, don't, if you don't have an idea of where they can go off the rails and 
in public education. So one of the things that will come up later in our discussion, I have some notes about, for example, teaching history. If you're going to incorporate the idea that, hey, the way that World War I was was funded and what it meant, what the, the Bank of England had to do and the significance of that eventually leading to these discussions of endless wars, there, there's a whole bunch of things to unpack there. However, if you had not been studying money, I think everybody listening to this podcast, if you're a Bitcoiner, you're probably already getting this with some in some form. You're reading books, you're reading articles, you're going to meetups, podcasts. I, I think you're getting that. So, uh, But I just want to call it out as a step that, that keeping yourself sharp and aware of what are the things you want to get across. Like if you, if you don't have that, then it's great that you're having conversations with them, but if you don't know what to follow up with, then, then what, right? Then the, so what? So that's my point. Continuous learning for yourself so that you know, and you can make a decision about what you want to teach your kids. I don't think with our audience, we have to worry about that. Okay. Because otherwise Good enough. they wouldn't be listening that's to true. our podcast. All right. All right. So next step, number, number four is the teaching your kids about what it means to have the courage to face their fears and to take, take actions. And I guess what comes with this, what's on my mind is, is almost like a caution. The, the idea, if you speak out today, you can be shut off of social media, unless you're on Nostra. Um, you can be shut off social media. If you speak up in certain workplaces, you might, you might lose your job, right? There are, there are consequences. And the, the Department of Justice, I, this, I, this is where I usually get I get a little crazy. I'm not going to go down this path, but you perhaps could get labeled as some kind of extremist and maybe FBI or somebody else is going to come, come a knocking. So you have to have courage to say, no, that's not right. I want to do this. But from a, a cautionary standpoint, the, the amount of pressure our kids are under with what now you can do bullying through social media. Like we didn't have to worry about that when I was a kid and you have this in, intensity that we just have to be aware of. Hey, kids, we want you to stand up and do the right thing. You need to teach them about the courage. But we need to also be aware as parents, they are under extreme pressure. And sometimes it's not just the other kids. Sometimes it's the the, author, the authoritarian, the, the teacher, the professor, the whoever, the principal, if they have a woke agenda. And so, for example, on another podcast, we talked about what one of our daughters went through at college the uh, professor asked a question. I think it was like, the, what the, was it the sex question or something? The question was, how, do, how would you compare a child growing into an adult to a man transitioning to a woman? That was the question for her. And our daughter's answer was, one is a natural process and one is an unnatural process. And for that, she got into a lot of trouble. Well, by a lot of trouble, they, they called together a special intervention because somebody's feelings have been hurt and and my point apologies for the dog in the background if you can hear that noise they my, my point in bringing this up is you can take these actions you're going to need courage to do this but we also need to be very aware that the environment that our kids are in in especially in like public schools but even in colleges like there's intense pressure there and we just need to be aware of that and it's one thing to say, have courage and stand up and do these things. But this is, um, 
this is just a caution, I guess, about teaching courage, but being aware and being human that they're going to be under a lot of pressure. Well, I think the key here in terms of a person or any person, whether it's child or adult, having courage is whether or not they feel like they have backing. And, and what I mean backing, what, what I mean by backing is as a child, do you, is your family your support? Do you trust that they will stand behind you? Do you, do you have a fortress that you can retreat into? In my head, that's the way, that's what I paint. Like for you to, for you to speak with courage, you got to know that you're coming from a position of power. And in a child mind, the power is in the stability and the support of the family. So if the family is strong, if the relationships are really strong, it's easier for the child to be courageous because yes, they might be, they might be some opposition for what they believe at school, but that won't hurt them. If you have a strong family unit in that your relationships are full of trust, then it will be easier for your child to be courageous. And so we always go back to as long as you are involved in your child's life, as long as your child knows that he or she matters to you, as long as they know that you are in, uh, intentionally invested in them, then, then it'll be easier for them to speak up if their opinion is different. And even if, and I want to kind of refer back to one of those old ancient Chinese saying things, a grass, a blade of grass, is stronger than an oak tree because it can bend. So when the wind blows, it'll bend over and then it'll spring back up when the wind is done. But an oak tree that isn't unbending, when the wind blows it over, it's just down. And so teaching your kids to be in to be emotionally intelligent, to know when to speak and when to keep quiet, that's another skill set that they should develop in life. Yeah, it's almost part two. I mean, you want them to be courageous though. Right. There, there's also the, the expression that weak men lead to bad times. Bad times lead to strong men and strong men lead to good times. A whole cycle like that. So do you... But you we, also need to pick your battles. You can't fight every single battle. I, okay. I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that the point about teaching... It's like the harder right over the easier wrong kind of discussion. It's just another form of that discussion. Knowing when to pick your battles is a is just being smart about how you do it, right? So I I'm I'm in agreement. We can say a lot of different ways, being flexible, but you still there's something about standing up to do the harder right. There's something very very fundamental in that, and when good people don't stand up and do the right thing, that that's when bad people, that's when evil things can happen. So. Anyway, all right. Yeah, but we do really intelligently, be... otherwise you get shot down and then nothing gets accomplished. Okay, so the next part, um, I want to break this up into get a little practical. I don't want to be too prescriptive, but I thought it'd be cool. I had a few subjects that I thought would be relevant. One would be history. One of the things that I have, I have found to be really interesting going down the rabbit hole, going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, is seeing history completely differently than it was ever explained to me in the movies, in school, however you want to cut it. And so, for example, let's say your kids are in middle school, public school, and they're learning history. Maybe they're even in, in high school. 
and they're t- and they're studying American history, and you get to the point on like, World War One. Well, nowhere ever do I remember anybody discussing what happened with money and how World War One was funded. And I know there's been in a, a couple different places. The one that's most recent to me is in Lynn Alden's Broken Money book, talking about this. But I know it's been discussed in other places as well. So if your student is studying history, and then you go back to what we said before, where you have to ask questions, and you say, hey, what are you studying? Well, I have a history class this year or this semester. And saying, okay, what do you... They come home, and you say, what do you... What part of the history are you you're studying? And you say, well, we're in the beginning of the 20th century. Then you can say, well, either you bring up the facts or depending on your student, maybe you have them read, even read that chapter. At least put the idea in their head. There is a, another piece of this puzzle that in all likelihood is not going to be brought up by that instructor. So you can do that over the dinner table. You, can, you have to gauge this thing on the amount of time you have to invest. right? If you only have five minutes with them, because that's all you get when they get home before they get ready to go out for sports. Maybe that's all you get. If you're at a dinner table and you can talk longer, okay, that's great. If you actually want to go much more extreme and say, and I want you to do extra reading, I don't think most people will be able to do that. But okay, here's a here's the thing. But if you're informed, going back to the, earlier what I said, keep yourself informed, you'll be aware of what resources and ideas to bring up at the right time. And history is an excellent one. It could be another one too. It could be world history. Go back to the fall of the Roman Empire. Go back to Chinese dynasties. Go back to wherever you want and and find out what was going on with money at that time. And talk about debasement, for example. The debasement of currencies in the Roman Empire. Those are things, those are examples from a from a history standpoint. Do you look do you have any comments on this? I can't tell by your body language if you have comments. I was just thinking back to the way I learned history, whether it's Chinese history or American history, and there was never any mention of money involved. There was always an emphasis on the personal character of the tyrant, which led to war or rebellion, but they don't talk about why these people were suffering. It was always just, it was, it's a tyrant they were unfair to the people and the people were poor, but you're just like, oh, okay, tyrant equals poor people, but how did they do it? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's get on to, I have like three subjects and then we can go to the other options. So the second subject is social studies slash economics. Many, many high schools, I know I was required to take a government course. So social studies is a normal required course in in junior high and high school curriculums, at least in the in the U.S. So, all types of things can come up here. So, for example, what was the cause of the Great Depression? What was the role of the banks? Teaching Austrian economic points of view that will not come up because they don't fit the current political agendas and they don't fit the current fiat Keynesian models, even MMT models that might be, be taught. So in an economics course or even in a social studies course, being able to introduce some of those ideas of what is money, some of the basic principles. Again, everybody listening to this podcast, if you're already a Bitcoiner, you you have undoubtedly been exposed to these kind of conversations. Your kids in public schools, I keep saying public schools as an example, um, your kids, if you're not doing homeschooling, are going to be exposed to these things and they're going to be presented 
either missing major, major concepts or misrepresented and actually even worse, misrepresented. So that's on the economics and social studies. And the last one is just current events. Uh, I don't know how this is brought up in, I don't know if that's a social studies course or if teachers just bring it up, you know, in whatever course they're in, but being aware, for example, of what is inflation? Is it an expansion of the monetary supply or is it like what the government says is with the CPI? The jobs report that just came out talking about how great things were. Well, if you actually dig into it, it's actually pretty bad. And there are things that you can, you can do. So for example, keeping yourself informed. There's a few examples that, I, that I'm thinking of that I was going to bring up later on, but I'll bring them up now. One is I find Lynn Alden's newsletter to just be fantastic. It's a 10 or 15 minute read. And if you read it, if you read that once a month, once a quarter, if you listen weekly to the Peter St. Ange podcast, it's, it's like 20 minutes and he's going to summarize current events from an Austrian economics point of view. And he's really snarky, which actually makes it cool for teenagers to listen to, because he's going to start it off by saying, what are the clowns trying to do to you? But my point is current events are going to come up in a classroom and if you, through conversation, maybe your kids don't have to read those things or listen to those podcasts, but if you're keeping yourself informed and you're having those, the, you're asking those questions, you can bring up points to your kids so that when they're in a classroom, at least in the back of their head, they go, I've heard something different for this. So those are three subject areas. I didn't list out too many. It was history, social studies, and current events. Anything that from a subject standpoint? No, not from a subject standpoint. I want to talk more about the implementation of this. Just okay, that was having, the next one. Yeah, let's, yeah go. let's go for it. Parents are busy these days. Attention is a precious commodity nowadays, whether it's your attention or a kid's attention. I think it would be very challenging if you approach these subjects with your kids from a lecture method because it's not... I mean, these are really serious topics. These are not fun topics. And it does get very heavy, especially when you start to see how the world is operating in an unfair way. And for example, when after I learned about how money works, I never looked at another war movie or story or documentary or any kind of mention of war the same way ever again, because it's so senseless. So... I want to take a step back and think implementation mm -hmm. that will work because we're we're really speaking to parents with at least a middle school, high school age child. So they're already having a lot of things that they're dealing with in life. They're they're dealing with puberty. They're going they're dealing with, you know, friend groups and they're dealing with their lives changing, going from middle school to high school or trying to figure out their future. So they have a lot of pressure already. So in terms of implementation, I think it will be, we have to be really aware of lecturing them all the time. Like if you read something from Lenaldon's newsletter, you go, hey, guess what I heard? They are going to switch off immediately because to them, their world is much smaller yet. Their world is their friend group, their family, their school. And so that's actually one of the reasons why we keep promoting game night family game night you can have these conversations while you're having fun and that's gonna basically lower the resistance screen just a little bit so you can kind of interject those ideas like you said if they have heard of these concepts before 
and then they hear something different at school, they would have, they have a chance of contrasting the two points of view. But if you're lecturing them all the time or saying, hey, go read this article or hey, go read this book, I think there's, we're going to unintentionally create a lot of resistance. So whether it's maybe like a, a fun movie you can watch together that, that mm. the Bitcoiners are re recommending or a, a game night, you can use our game, you can use somebody else's game, doesn't matter. But just some way of making it the conversation part of another fun activity than just the conversation itself. That would be my caveat here. I don't have the perfect answer on that. I I know with, I know with recently with our older son, I made a mention to something. I was I was trying to actually do some of these things. He's already he's already done with high school. He has a job. He's thinking about other things. Something came up, and I made a comment about malinvestment, because obviously from my point of view, there's a lot of malinvestment. I don't believe we're in free markets. I whole lot there but I wasn't I, was, I didn't even go deep into any of that I wasn't on a soapbox I, I tried to make a passing comment and man he shot me down quick like it was eye rolling oh my god dad's lecturing kind of thing and I'm like I was not lecturing you want me to lecture like I'll lecture like that <laughs> that was not a lecture I do so I I don't have the perfect answer I do think if you can work it into game nights you can do it like maybe you're playing Monopoly and you can say what would happen if and you can there's all kinds of things you can work in there with inflation or or other things like that. You can uh, yes, with our game, you can work in Bitcoin concepts. I do think game nights are it was actually on my list of things. Uh, you also have the benefit of fellowship because one of the things that works against us as parents trying to build those relationships with kids today is the screen time. And I'm not saying take away the screens because I know that's part of life. But there is something to having a game night when you're not looking at your phone, you're not looking at the computer, you're not just watching Netflix. You can you can actually talk. So that fellowship gives you more opportunities to try to work these things into the conversation. Um, I like the idea of what you said about trying to make it fun too. So a lot of people, a lot of dads want to make dad jokes. So maybe there's a way using your own personality that you can bring up subjects and and do it in small little bits <laughs> repeatedly, right? So that doesn't come across as a lecture. So another thing on my on my list, and this is harder, but if you are actually able to have dinners together as a family. How do you guide those kind of conversations? Again, if, if everybody's just watching TV or they're eating independently or something like that, it's, it's not going to work. But if you actually can have dinners together, there's a lot of connections with the health of the family, the relationships and the trust and all the other things like that. But it's also an opportunity to work in discussions. Maybe you work in current events. Maybe you work in... Um, some other idea. Maybe that's where you ask about how someone's day is going. So the younger sibling can hear you talking to the older sibling about one of those history ideas. So you have game nights, you have dinner discussions. Another one is potentially doing things like listening to podcasts together. We have a friend who he and his 16 year old daughter actually do a podcast together. Most people don't have that amount of time. But there are creative things that you can do where you can have those kind of conversations. You can have a lot of conversations there. And 
Well, so as a parent, I imagine you spend a lot of time driving your kids around, whether it's to soccer or football or dance or gymnastics or something. There are a lot of times when you have a captive audience, as long as you don't let them put their earbuds in. So if the rule, maybe once or twice a week, when they get in the car, is no earbuds, you get to play your podcast, and they don't have to listen, but they can't put anything in their ears. So afterwards, whether you discuss it or not, they've heard it, and it's sitting there in the back of their mind, and they can retrieve that information one day if they need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing, and the other thing I wanted to say was, um, I forgot. Well, okay. Well, while you're thinking of that, um, I'll get. I'll give another example. So. And again, most of these things, I think, I think there's a spectrum. The earlier you start these patterns with your children, the easier it is. So if your pattern with your kids when you're driving around, when they're young, is you, mom's going to put in a, an audible book or a podcast or, or whatever. Like when they get older, that's just the norm. Whereas if you try to start that after they've already gotten into the habit where they just put their music in their, their earbuds and they ignore you for the ride, much more difficult to retrain that that the the habit there but the 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 thing that i was going to bring up was trying to do special projects together and this has come up on other podcasts i i wish i could remember which episode it was but preston pish was talking about how he was learning ai he was using ai to help a project where he was working with his his kid on building an automatic dog feeder I'm just, I love that example. I, I just think that is great. You're learning so much there. Um, and it gives you a time to talk about different things. You can talk about creating things and entrepreneurship and the AI technology. There's just so many things that that opens up. So in my mind, I guess I put that as like a special project that's different than just listening to something together because you're, it's interactive and it, is it is it money per se? No, but I mean, Bitcoin homeschoolers is more than just the money. There's a lot of other principles we want to teach. And AI is certainly something that we've talked about before, something that should be taught. So to me, one of the things you can do, even if your kid is in public school, is you can work on special projects. You can also, for example, sign them up for like robotics or some other club that's outside of school. And again, similar kind of concept where you can work on things together outside of this the structured environment i was gonna say that it really comes down to a trusting relationship and that can be built in numerous ways but the key is personal involvement and the technique that i wanted to mention that i just heard about uh this week from a book called intention experiment by lynn mctaggart She talks about how five minutes of focusing on the same intention for a group of people actually brings them more connected in a way that is almost unexplainable. So if you are in a situation where you just cannot get your high schoolers to take out their earbuds and listen to what you have to say, or you're too busy, they're too busy, doesn't matter what the what the reason is, but you're just really having trouble making that connection, then five minutes of the family together intending on something. And it could be 
anything at all. It could be praying for their grandma's health. It could be praying for a summer job for your kid. It doesn't matter. Just the collective intention directed at the same goal for five minutes actually makes the group more closely connected. So how does that connect to though? I mean, this is to help people like who, whose kids for whatever reason are not homeschooled, but they want to implement some of these things. How does that help them? Because in order for you to impart what you want to impart knowledge wise, uh, critical thinking wise, whatever it comes back to, do you have a trusting relationship? Do you have an open relationship? Do you have a mutually respectful relationship? It comes down to relationship. If they, if your child is completely disconnected from you emotionally, you can't tell them anything. Okay. Well, I, that's pretty sound logic. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um, Okay, any more on that? Because I had another one last thing to throw out. And Okay, so the last thing in terms of implementation ideas, and this goes to, again, how much time can you really invest? This is not for everybody. I'm going to say it anyway, but you can actually go to the point of assigned reading, like with books or newsletters. You can do it assigned things to listen to, like the podcast we mentioned earlier. It could be watching documentaries. I know that Odell and McCormick and others have put together documentaries on, on different things. So it's almost homework, basically. I, I, I don't believe, I, I know, I look back when I was doing the, the fiat operation stuff, I would not have had time to put together homework, review it, discuss it. Like it just, it wouldn't have been in, in an option. But if that is an option and you have that relationship with your child and you can do it, then especially if you can tie it to something they're interested in anyways, right? Um, then you could actually do it more formally as in it's, it's literally like, it's literally home homework, <laughs> not uh, school homework. And, and then I guess the, I, I still come back to what something I said in the beginning is we're coming at this at the, at the, the tail end. We have over, you have your two decades of, of teaching. We've been through it. And we're trying to talk on this and it would be very helpful to actually interview someone who is actually homeschooling today in a place where it's either criminalized or like a, a, the couple can't do it because they're both working or whatever the circumstances, they cannot literally homeschool, but they're still doing these other types of activities and teaching these things are important. If someone, this is to all the listeners out there, if, if that's you or you know somebody who that, that fits that description, we would love to talk to them because we're just trying to think through this, this topic. Again, it's come up in, in comments, it's come up in conversations, and we feel this is part of something that we should include in understanding Bitcoin homeschooling. And that's just something I just, I put out to the audience if you know someone like that, especially if it's you, reach out to us directly. All right. With that, Tali, what else do you have? I think I feel like we're at a good wrapping point. I just want to say that even though we are overwhelming you with a lot of information, the one takeaway, the only key takeaway is focus on the relationship. Because, because if your relationship is open you've got a chance to communicate. So focus on that and the others will fall into place. Like we said in the very beginning of the podcast, 
they are drawing conclusions all the time. You don't have to necessarily be teaching them something for them to absorb what you want them to absorb because they are watching and they're drawing their conclusions. Yeah, great observation, great advice. Guys, we, we love these kind of we love these kind of topics. We're looking forward to helping as many people as we can. Thank you for listening. We will catch you again next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and if you found this valuable, please leave a review to help others find us too. For those who prefer zapping sats, we love those too. We're on Fountain, we're on Noster, and we're on Orange Pill app. Also, I host a women's only Bitcoin podcast called Orange Hatter. And the mission of that podcast is to reach pre-coiner women. So if you know of someone in your life that you would like to introduce Bitcoin to, check it out. So Tali and I also don't have sponsors for this show. We are trying to build and run free market kids. You can check out our products at freemarketkids.com. This includes the Bitcoin mining game Hoddle Up, which is a great introduction to Bitcoin. The school edition of Hoddle Up is always available. We also have the 2024 halving edition. It's going to be super deluxe. Very excited to roll it out. It is available on presale at a 21% discount. Until next time, happy hodling.